I am so disappointed. Golf has been canceled. Now, we're on my best golf attire, Tom Beck. What do you think? <laughs> hey, good morning. My name is uh, Dennis Fay. I am the executive pastor of our church. I also serve uh, on the pastoral team. Uh, so, again, it's my pleasure to welcome you to our worship service. Uh, if you came looking for Pastor Bruno, I am so sorry. Uh, he's not here. Uh, he's up in Ohio, but it's a little too late to go up there. But he will be here next Sunday. Uh, Pastor just finished a, a series last week uh, called um, We Are Grace. And next week, he's going to start a series on connections, you know, better together. Uh, really excited about that. But he told me, Dennis, you have one Sunday in between series. Preach on anything you want to preach on. I said, well, thank you, Pastor. Appreciate that. And I uh, gave us some thought, gave us some prayer. And uh, I've decided to preach on the summer. Right? The summer. I love the summer. Don't know about you. I love the summer. I, I, I love the weather. I love connecting. I love going to the beach. Uh, it, it's a time where most of us can just get away. And I hope you all get away. I hope you have some time with your families. Uh, I just pray uh, you'll have an amazing time this summer. Pastor Jeff Thornley, who was the founding pastor of this church, once told me, Dennis, people like to take off during the summer. But I want to see people take off for the ministry during the summer. And if you knew Pastor Jeff, that was clearly a Pastor Jeff thing. And I think Pastor was correct. I think we need to take off. But I also think we do need to take off for ministry in the summer. Because Pastor thought that summer was a, a special and unique time of the year. People get out of the house. Uh, they start to connect. You know, during the winter, you don't see anyone. But in the summer, you do. You're hanging out with people. And Pastor Jeff just thought the summer was a great time to have these spiritual conversations and ultimately, you know, to proclaim Jesus Christ to people. And it was Jeff who impressed upon me that the summertime was the time to prepare for a summer harvest. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about how can we have a summer harvest here at Grace Church. But before we go there, let's pray one more time. Please bow with me. Our Father in heaven, I, I again thank you uh, that we could gather together um, as your people to worship you. And Father, we've been worshiping you, and I, I pray that our worship has and will continue uh, to be uh, good and pleasing in your sight. And Father, I, I also thank you for this, this opportunity to stand before the saints here of grace and to uh, open up your word, uh, to preach it. And Father, I pray as always that, Lord, I would handle the word correctly. I pray, Lord, that um, the word the words that I will share and preach will penetrate hearts. Father, we want your will today, not mine. So, Father, we just commit this service now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, growing up, the whole concept of a harvest was foreign to me. Most of you know that I grew up and was raised around the New York City area. I was born in New Rochelle, to be precise, but spent most of my informative years in Danbury, Connecticut, which was a suburb of uh, New York City. And in Danbury, and I say this very sincerely, I don't remember ever, ever seeing a farm. 
Now, I'm sure Danbury had a farm. I'm sure Connecticut, I know Connecticut has farms. I just never saw a farm. So we grew up in either an apartment or a little house with a little yard. So the only harvest I ever saw was maybe a couple tomatoes, you know, at the end of the summer. So this whole concept of of the harvest uh, is just, just foreign to me. And I recognize growing up, I was definitely more city than country, and I was good with that, all right? I loved the New York City area. I just assumed I would spend my entire life either in New York or, or around the New York City area. As a matter of fact, I told my mother that I would never, ever, ever leave the New York City area. Out of her six boys, I was the only one who left. Not only that, God brought me to Southern Maryland with farms everywhere, And, of course, I ended up eventually working for the Department of Agriculture. I mean, go figure, right? God, he's a funny God. You know, God God has an amazing uh, sense of humor. In 1980, I was stationed at the naval base at Indian Head. Now, I I was 22 and single at that time. Uh, Just finished a a three-and-a-half-year tour on on a carrier, and... You know, I just didn't want to live in the barracks after spending three and a half years with 600 men. You know what I mean? So I rented a basement apartment from a co-worker and her husband, uh, Lester and Connie Thompson. And this apartment was on a farm. It was on a farm. So that was the first time I had ever seen a farm. And it was a real farm. I mean, they actually grew stuff, you know? They grew corn and they grew straw or hay or whatever they call it, you know. And in the early 80s, they grew tobacco. But not only that, they had real animals. Well, you know, of course. They had animals. They had cows. They had pigs. They had chickens. They had horses, all right? And Jen, don't yell at me, but they had a, they had a pony. And I actually thought a pony was just a baby horse. I didn't realize a pony was its own thing. I really didn't. So in about seven or eight months, I was getting concerned for this pony. The pony wasn't growing. Yeah, I know I'm an idiot. I get that. So I go to Lester. I said, Lester, I think you have a problem with your pony. He goes, what do you mean? It's not growing. See, I know, it's a pony. No, Lester, I know it's a pony. Your pony's not growing. He looked at me like, are you stupid? You know, that's the size it gets. So obviously, I had a lot to learn. I had a lot to learn. And I'll tell you what, over two years, I actually learned a lot. Uh, Became very close with the Thompsons. And because this was the early 80s, tobacco was their main crop. And so I would help the Thompsons uh, with this crop. I was single at the time. Um, had, you know, I had not met Kathy yet. I had plenty of time on my hands. And I would help them because you know what? It's a lot of work. I mean, with tobacco, I mean, you got to plant it, you have to weed it, you know, you have to you know, cut it, spear it, hang it in the barn, just a lot of work. And you know what? I was single, and they would feed me. And so, you know what? I mean, when you're single and you can't cook, uh, a home-cooked meal is gold, I'm telling you. Matter of fact, uh, when I eventually left uh, this apartment, and Kathy and I were getting married, Kathy still laughs at this, I owned one fork, <laughs> one knife, and a pizza cutter. I know, that's all I really needed. But you know, as I worked with Lester Thompson, I realized one thing 
about farmers. They have one thing on their minds, and that's the harvest. To prepare for the harvest, and then to take the harvest in. You know, um, and I quickly realized how much work it took to have a plentiful harvest. Oh my, the work was unbelievable, right? I mean, if you're growing tobacco, you know, you have to plant the tobacco, right? Then you have to water it, and you pray for rain. If it rains too much, you pray, Lord, stop. You know, it rains too much. You have to weed it. You have to cut it down. You have to spear it. You have to hang it in the barns. You let it dry for a season. Then you take it down. You load it on the truck. You take it to market, and you pray like crazy that you'll get a good price for the, uh, for the tobacco. Whoa. It was a lot of work just to reap a bountiful harvest. But I also realized something else about farmers and their harvest. When it's time to take the harvest in, you have a short window of opportunity to do that. All right? A short opportunity. If you wait too long, the crop will rot. If you take it in too early, it's not ready. All right? So it's a very short window. And of course, all the farmers in the area, their harvest is at the same time. And I remember Lester just stressing because he had a hard time finding workers or farmhands uh, to take in his harvest. Because, you know, the workers were few. Hmm. You know, looking at the scriptures, we see that Jesus said the same thing. That the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we're going to look at that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in uh, Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. Uh, If you have the worship Bibles on page 814, I will also have the scriptures here for you. But we're going to be all over the Bible this morning. So have it ready, and let's have some fun with it. So we see Matthew 9, starting with verse 35. It says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and, the, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, listen, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers unto his harvest. When Jesus looked over the crowd, the scripture said that he had compassion for them. Or better yet, his, his heart broke for them because they were helpless. They were aimless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Okay? And, and, and And Jesus told his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, so pray earnestly, okay? And listen, this is really important, to pray earnestly, all right? That means to pray in an earnest or serious manner, not casually, not lightly, not flippantly, all right? To pray in a serious manner. And look, Jesus is not talking about a a, a harvest of tobacco, right? He's talking about a spiritual harvest with men, women, children, young people who will will receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let me just say this. Um, I I mean this very sincerely. I love the fact that as a church, um, we have missionaries 
all over the world. I love that about Grace Church. I think our missions committee does a great job. I would love to see this area actually expand. Because you know what? We have harvest fields all throughout the world. But, I can, but can I tell you something? We have a harvest field in Southern Maryland. We have a harvest field in your neighborhood. We have a harvest field in your family. And there's a harvest field maybe even in your workplace. Um, and Jesus is basically saying this. Look out and see the people in your community. Look at them. Basically, he's saying, Grace Church guy, Grace Church gal, get on your knees and pray for them, but pray earnestly for them. Don't pray flippantly or casually. Pray earnestly for these people. Oh, my. I mean, there are thousands of people living in Southern Maryland. And this is our harvest area, isn't it? Okay? Thousands of people uh, who have substituted doing God's will with living according to their own wills. They're doing their own thing their own way. And folks, we know there's only one way to help these people. And that is Jesus. That is for these people to know Jesus in a personal and intimate way. So we cannot pray flippantly or casually for these people. Jesus clearly linked a fruitful harvest with prayer. Now, let me state the obvious. There's power in prayer, right? Do you believe that? Good, good. Someone once said, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works, right? And you know what? I want God to work through the lives and ministries of Grace Church. That's what I want. I believe the scriptures are abundantly clear. I really believe this, that God is not satisfied with puny harvests or no harvests at all. I do not believe that. I believe God wants his church to grow. And did you get that? His church. And Grace Church is part of his church. All right? Look at 2 Peter 3.9. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Remember, Jesus came to earth on a, a mission of seeking to save the lost. That is his mission. And our task, our mission as a church quite frankly, is to continue the work Jesus started. I have quoted our mission statement for years. They're not pretty words just on a wall for you to look at. They mean something, to live and to love like Jesus. We are to live like Jesus. We are to love like Jesus. But there's another part to it, right? We are to help others do the same. That is our responsibility. This is our mission statement as a church. Do you believe God really wants this church to grow. Do you really believe it? I hope so. I, I, I hope so, okay? Because he does. Because he's not willing for anyone to perish. He wants his house to be full. He, you know, it is God's will. It's his will. Not my will. It's his will for his church to grow. It's my desire, but it is his will. Now, before I, I, I go any further, I just want to take a moment and quickly address the term growth, okay? Um, and I recognize there are different types of growth, 
and some of which have nothing to do with adding numbers. What size? Okay. Um, and this is a uh, dentist thing. Okay. This is this is my opinion. Uh, you can certainly disagree with it if you like, but I believe a church can be alive and growing even though the number of members and attenders is not changing. Listen, if those in the church are grown in grace and knowledge, knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, both individually and corporately, then I believe that is a church that is, that is experiencing true growth. But I need to say this. I think in most cases, if we're growing individually like that, I think corporately we'll grow. Because if I'm growing in Christ, and I'm living the way he wants me to live, and I'm living and loving like Jesus and helping others to do the same, let me tell you what, I'm going to invite people to our church. If you know anything about my wife and I, if we like something, we'll tell you about it. Okay, we will. If I like a doctor, I'll tell you about it. If I like a certain type of food, I will tell you about it. Okay, and you know what? I like this church, and I'll tell people about it. If I'm discipling someone, I'm not going to send them to a church down the road unless they live down there. Some people here. So I think in most cases, if we're grown individually, the church should grow. But at the same time, a church could be adding to its roles weekly and have huge numbers and still be spiritually stagnant. Now, this is not a knock against megachurches at all. I'm just saying it's not necessarily about numbers. About 10, 12 years ago, uh, Dr. Jerry Young, he's now with the Lord, um, the pastor and uh, Grace Church in Pennsylvania. We're at a, um, a pastor's retreat. And he stood up and said, gentlemen, who wants to grow your church? Said, yeah, 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 we do. Growing a church is easy. He said, hire professional musicians and tickle their ears, okay? And you'll grow your church. But that's not the kind of growth we want, is it? We want true spiritual growth. And, you know, also, growth follows a typical pattern as any growing Organism. In other words, uh, the local church has those who plant the seed, those who water the seed, and others who use their spiritual gifts for the growth of those in the local church. And I just want to say this again. We at this church, we at Grace Church, we are committed to use any and all means possible to see people come to Jesus Christ. But the first strategy of growth of any kind, the first strategy has to be prayer. It has to be prayer, okay? Because Jesus linked prayer with the harvest. Jesus linked it. And you know what? When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. God works. In Exodus 17, 8 through 3, we read, talking about the power of prayer, we read, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, 
one on one side, the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And look at verse 13. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. You talk about the power of prayer. So when Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill, when Moses had his hands up, Israelites were winning. But when he got weary and tired, the Amalekites started to win. All right, so what did Aaron and Hur do? They came and they helped Moses with his hands towards the heavens. Because Moses trusted God with prayer. And guess what? The Israelites prevailed. Because Moses trusted God. Moses understood prayer. You know, we have a choice of keeping our hands in our pockets and, and doing ministry in our own strength. Or we could take our hands out, make a commitment to pray, and let's see what God will do. All right? Because when we pray, God works. And I want, I want to see God work, not in my own power, because trust me, I will fail. Do any of you struggle with prayer? Don't say yes, just in your mind. I, I can tell you there are times <clears throat> in the morning when I go into my, my sunroom, and that's where I, I do my quiet time. And um, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to start. I mean, just so, sometimes I have nothing. I mean, I just have nothing. Because I hate to repeat myself, and I just, I just have nothing. You know, uh, I'm not sure if this happens to you. Because I, I think sometimes we talk a lot about prayer, but we don't teach prayer well. We just don't. And I'm really excited to tell you that Pastor Bruno has a passion for prayer. You may not, you may not know this, but on Sunday, he walks around this building. And he prays over every room. And he has a passion to really enhance prayer. And we're working on some um, methods to enhance prayer here. And matter of fact, I even asked him if, if he'd be willing to do a series on prayer. And before the summer ends, that will happen. And I'm really excited uh, to see that. But until that time comes, may I suggest if you struggle with prayer, and I'm going to tell you something you already know. But if you struggle with prayer, try praying the scriptures. Just make it personal. Matter of fact, take the Psalms out. There's 150 Psalms and pray the Psalms. You know, just, just pray the Psalms. If that doesn't float your boat, okay. Um, something I learned many, many years ago, which was very, very helpful, is the acronym ACTS. You've heard that, right? A-C-T-S. A for adoration. C for confession. T for thanksgiving. You know, S for supplication. You know, just start your prayers just praising God. Okay, then confessing your sins, uh, give him thanks, then give, then give him your prayer requests. It works, it's amazing. But whatever mechanism you use to pray, that's up to you. Can I strongly, strongly encourage you to do something? Start praying and start praying earnestly for a summer harvest here at Grace. Because if we don't tell people, who will? Someone told you about Jesus Christ, all right? We have to tell others. Right? It starts with us. It has to start with us. And you know what? Cle uh, Jesus clearly commands us to pray for workers to go out and bring the harvest in. He clearly commands that. And look, please don't take this the wrong way. I know we pray as a church. I get that. And I really appreciate uh, those of you who pray. Thank you. And I know how we pray. And, and, it, and it's all good. But when I get together with prayer groups, most of the prayers are regarding health. And that's fine. We need to pray for health. But we pray for health. 
We pray for finances. You know, we, we pray for, you know, whatever, a job. And that's all fine and good. But we need to pray for workers as well. Okay? We have to pray for workers for the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And if we don't pray for them, what's going to happen? So we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. Remember, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers unto his harvest. In John 4.35, we read, Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So when we look at this story, Okay? We know that Jesus had just witnessed a Samaritan woman. Right? And so, and he said to, to his disciples, you know, um, disciples, look around. Wouldn't you say that in about four months it'll be time for the harvest? And I'm sure his disciples were saying, yeah, yes, Lord, yeah. In about four months, it, it, it'll, it'll be right. And Jesus said, hey, hey, open your eyes. Look, look right now. The Samaritan fields are ripe. And I'm saying to you all, look right now. The southern Maryland fields are ripe for harvest. Your neighborhoods are ripe for harvest. Your families are probably ripe for harvest. But we have to open our eyes and look and be intentional. Don't wait. We cannot wait. Now look, I also realize we need to, we need to do more than just pray as well. Right, prayer, that's where we need to start, it's prayer, but we have to do more. Because farmers know that before there's a harvest time, there must be time of sowing seed. As a local church, we can't expect to have a harvest if we're not sowing seeds of God's love and God's truth. We have to do that. And you know what? It takes work. And it takes a lot of work. But we need to scatter God's word. And if we are faithful in sowing some seed, it will eventually find good soil. And good soil produces 30, 60, 100 fold. It will find good soil. But we have to scatter the seeds. You know, Jesus tells us to pray because he knows Sowing the gospel seed and reaping the harvest will challenge us to get out of our comfort zones. And I know that. This will get us out of our comfort zones. I know. I know. Again, if we don't do it, who will? Who will? Also, I need to say this. Satan will do all he can to keep us from praying and to keep us from becoming harvesters. Therefore, Ephesians 6, really important, says, We need to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Folks, there is a spiritual battle that rages all around us. It is. And we're told to pray. But not only pray, just to be earnest in our prayers. We need to pray seriously. We can't be ca- uh, flippant about this. We can't pray casually. We need to be intentional and we need to pray. Let me just say this. If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. Okay? If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. You need to take stock of your schedule. I think Satan uses busyness as a way to um, paralyze Christians. 
Make Jesus your model when it comes to prayer. Who's better? Jesus was never too busy to spend time in prayer. Um, and he prayed before every ministry crisis that he had. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was arrested, what was he doing? He was praying. Jesus was praying. Look, to become a harvester requires much prayer and putting feet to our prayers. Again, there's a battle going on in the hearts and souls of men and women, young people, and our children. And let's face it, we're living in a tough battle zone in Southern Maryland. We really are. In our community, God as creator of heaven and earth is nearly forgotten and ignored. And quite frankly, Southern Maryland is probably no different than any other community in Maryland or the country. It's just, it's just reality. Okay? But however, okay, if we don't pray, who will? We need to stand in the gap. God is looking for men and women who will be faithful in praying to stand in the gap, to make a difference. Again, if not us, who? Now, Ezekiel chapter 22 talks about the sins of Jerusalem. Easily could have been the sins of America. Um, you look at this, uh, this, this, this chapter, the people there had turned to um, idolatry and immorality. It was just rampant. The people had ignored the laws of the Lord. And verse 30, uh, this, this is a sad verse. I, 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 I struggled with it. It says, And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but found none. Found none. Jesus asked us to pray for workers who will stand in the gap of prayerlessness. Jesus is asking for us to pray for workers who will stand in the gap of unrighteousness. I believe that there are many people still looking for truth. They want to know truth. They're seeking truth. I believe there are people looking for the meaning of life, looking for purpose in their lives. People are looking for God's love. They're looking, for, they're looking for God's understanding. And Jesus asks us to stand in the gap and help people know who they can become in Christ. And Jesus calls his workers to take action. We are his workers. He wants us to take initiative and to go on the offense. For too long, we have been on defense. And I don't know about you, but I am tired of playing defense. All right? It's time to go on the offense. We huddle in our boxes, and we fail to get out into the playing field of life. Look, we just finished a series called We Are Grace. We could have easily called it We Are the Church. But here's the good news about We Are the Church. The scriptures are clear. The church will be triumphant. All right? Is there amen anywhere with that? We win. All right, this, this is a good thing. Matthew 16, 18 says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Oh, well, amen. Jesus will build, has built his church on faithful men and women like you and just like Peter. And the church will be triumphant. The church will continue to march. We will, ha we will have our battles. <laughs> and we, trust me, we've had our battles. 
We will continue to have our battles. I get that, okay? But you know what? Satan might try to stand in the way. Matter of fact, he will try to stand in the way. But the church of Jesus Christ will be unstoppable. We have that promise, right? Be encouraged. Be encouraged. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 gives the promise of power that we have in prayer. Don't overlook this. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divine powers to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Folks, I get it. We're, we're human, all right? But we do not have to wage war with human plans and methods. We don't have to do that, okay? We can use God's mighty weapons, not merely worldly weapons, praise God, to knock down the devil's strongholds. With these weapons, we break down every argument that keeps people from knowing Jesus Christ. With these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas and teach them to obey Christ. And the, maybe the biggest and most powerful weapon we have is prayer. That's our, we need to use it. But it's earnest prayer. We need to be earnest when we pray. We need to be serious when we pray. You see, when we pray, when we pray, we're punching holes in the spiritual darkness of Southern Maryland, okay? We are. I mean, the, the, the darkness just hangs all over us, and we're punching holes in it. All right, that's light, and I love it. When we pray, we knock down Satan's strongholds. And you know what? Jesus can turn the darkest corners into light. He can, and he has. Don't forget that as a Christ follower, we have the promise that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We have the Holy Spirit. We have all that we need. You know, I, um, whew, I frequently remark that there's power in prayer. I've said that a couple times this morning, and that's a true statement. That's a true statement. But the power of prayer is quite simply the power of God. That's the power of God, okay? It is God who hears and answers prayer. The Lord God Almighty can do all things. Do you believe that? Yeah, yeah. Luke one thirty seven says, For nothing will be impossible with God. Luke 18.1 says, but when we pray, we need to be persistent, okay? Uh, Philippians 4.6 says, when we pray, we need to do it with thanksgiving. Uh, James 1.5 says, when we pray, we must do it in faith, okay? Uh, Matthew 6.10, when we pray, we do it within the wall of God. John 14.13, when we pray, we pray for the glory of God and from a right heart from God. James 5.16, that's how we need to pray. Oh my, it's exciting. Prayer works. We all have stories of how prayer works. But sometimes I think we need to be reminded and to hear about some of these stories. In this church, I've seen, I've witnessed, I've heard countless stories of, of, of prayer. And uh, I actually love reading stories about how God works when people really become intentional about prayer. I just want to read one incident, one, one, one story that I hope will encourage you. Uh, I've checked this out, and this is, this is uh, substantiated, and uh, it, it, it's pretty amazing. 
And I know there's many, many stories just like this. This is actually from a missionary on furlough, and he told this, this true story while visiting his home church in Michigan. He says, While serving at a small field hospital in Africa, every two weeks I traveled by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. This was a journey of two days and required camping overnight at the halfway point. On one of these journeys, I arrived in the city where I planned to collect money from a bank to purchase medicine and supplies and then begin my two-day journey back to the field hospital. Upon arrival in the city, I observed two men fighting, one of whom had been seriously injured. I treated him for his injuries and at the same time talked to him about the Lord. I then traveled two days camping overnight and arrived home without incident. Two weeks later, I repeated my journey. Upon arriving in the city, I was approached by the young man I had treated. He told me that he had known I carried money and medicines. He said, some friends and I followed you into, into the jungle knowing you would camp overnight. We planned to kill you and take your money and your drugs. But just as we were about to move into your camp, we saw that 26 armed guards surrounded you. At this, I laughed and said that I was certainly all alone in the jungle campsite. The young man pressed the point, however, and said, no, sir, I was not the only person to see the guards. My friends also saw them, and we all counted them. It was because of those guards that we were afraid, and we left you alone. Now, at this point in the sermon, one of the men in the congregation jumped to his feet and interrupted the missionary and asked if he could tell him the exact day this happened. The missionary told the congregation the date, and the man who interrupted told him, this story. On the night of your incident in Africa, it was morning here and I was preparing to go to play golf. I was about to putt when I felt the urge to pray for you. In fact, the urging of the Lord was so strong, I called some men in this church to meet with me here in the sanctuary to pray for you. Would all those men who met with me on that day stand up? The men who had met together to pray that day stood up. The missionary wasn't concerned with who they were. He was too busy counting how many men he saw. There were 26 men. Story after story after story we, 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 of how we know, we read, we see, we hear of how God answers prayer. We have it. But God tells us to be intentional and to pray earnestly. You know, nothing, nothing's impossible with God. So, what's the application this morning? Duh, pray. I get that, right? We need to pray, obviously, okay? Because everything starts with prayer. But if we truly want a summer harvest here at this church, we need to pray, and we need to pray now. But we need to be earnest in our prayers. And you know, I like to keep things simple, all right? So, you know what I'm going to say next. I know you know. Who are you praying for? <laughs> who are you praying for? And if you're not praying for anyone, who will you pray for? Let me make this really easy. If you're not praying for anyone, okay, how about praying for your neighbor at home on your left or to your right? 
or both. If you don't have neighbors to your left or right, maybe your neighbor across the street. I don't know. If you're in a small group, I know small groups tend to take the summers off, but most small groups will do some social events. May I encourage you, small groups, uh, that before you eat, because I know you will eat at your social event, take a half an hour, 45 minutes, walk around your neighborhood. Just pray for the houses. Tim Remo, take your youth group out one Wednesday evening and pray for the homes in Sakaya Valley. Just walk down, just pray for the homes. Just pray. Just pray. Okay? Maybe you have a neighbor, maybe you have a coworker. I don't know. You should have received in your worship guide this morning uh, a bookmarker like this called My Fishing List. If you haven't received one, that's okay. We have a few extras uh, at the information center. Years ago, and I, I mean years ago here, uh, we gave these bookmarkers out, something very similar uh, to all of our small groups. And we asked our small groups just to write down some names that you'd like to invite to your group or prayer in general, okay? Just, just, just write them down and um, let's see what happens. Well, I was leading a group and uh, I had a couple by the name of Ed and Debbie May were in my group. And uh, we started, we wrote down a, a co-worker of Ed May's. Uh, we started praying for Ed's co-worker and his wife. And we prayed, I don't know, three months, four months, five months. I mean, we didn't know where they were spiritually, so we just prayed that they would join us for a small group, right? Baby steps. And you know what? They joined us after four or five months. Then they joined the church. You know what? They've been serving at this church faithfully for 20-plus years. Steve and Lynn Cox, first service people, if you don't know them. How's that for harvest, right? Simple prayer, earnest prayer, intentional prayer, all right? So here's my challenge this morning. Really simple, right? Take your bookmarker, your fishing list. Write a name down. Write a name of your neighbor. I don't know, a co-worker, family member. Write two or three. That, that's, that's up to you. But write these the names on this list. Put this bookmarker in your Bible. And every time you open your Bible up, pray for them. Now, that means you have to open your Bible up. All right? So please open your Bible up. All right? Pray for them. Take it 30, 40 seconds. Pray for them. This is how we're going to pray for our summer harvest. Now let's see what happens you know, at the end of the summer. Who knows, right? Pray for them. If we don't pray for them, who will? Who will pray for them? We have to pray for them. If we truly want a summer harvest, we have to pray for them. Folks, it's our mission statement. We have to do this. So please, I, I hope you'll take this challenge up, okay? And you know what? I look forward to, you know, praising God sometime early fall for the harvest that we'll receive here at Grace Church. Is that fair? Is that, that's a reasonable challenge, right? So, you know, this summer, do me a favor, take off, okay? Take off and have some vacation time. Take off and have fun. But do me a favor, take off for ministry too. Let's pray for someone. Let's pray for a summer harvest. Let's pray right now. Please bow with me. <sighs> Father, thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. Father, I recognize that we are your disciples. And, um, and what a privilege that is. So, Father, I pray even right now that you would just um, give us boldness, 
give us confidence that as we pray, um, that we'd be intentional in praying for uh, those, who, those who need to know who you are. Uh, Father, I, I pray that we would be earnest in our prayers. I pray, Lord, that we, we would be intentional. And Father, I'm going to thank you again right now for what you will do uh, in our midst. So we just commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.